beliefs, our culture, our DNA of who we are. And for those of you, because um, there's a couple people, I think welcome back, Sean and Margie. So we're up to a church who grow, and we've been looking at these different aspects. We've done a church of grace, glory, guts, gather, go. And we did last week, Dad spoke about a church of government. Today, we're going to look at a church who grow. So God is all about growth. Growth is good. Growth is healthy. All right? And so each of us have been given, or each of us have you know, multiple kind of titles that uh, help to illustrate and help to give a picture of who we are. So for instance, what I mean is uh, I'm a father, I'm a son at the same time, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I'm a business owner, I'm a designer, I'm a musician, right? I'm a, what else? I'm a pastor, um, I'm a believer. So I'm all these things, right, at the same time. And the same way, you know, God also has these multiple titles and multiple descriptions of, what he, of who he is to help illustrate and give us a more comprehensive picture of who he is and being able to see what he's like. So we know God is a father. We know he is a creator, right? He's a king, that he is a healer, a deliverer. He's our savior, that he is, uh, sorry? He's redeemer, yeah. He's all these things all at the same time. He is a builder, right? We looked at, uh, he's a warrior, but he's a, he's a builder. And last week, Dad uh, spoke about being a church of, of government and, and God has divine order. He is a God who, is, uh, who operates within a divine structure, right? We looked at how he's a craftsman and that he wants to build his church in a very specific way. We think about it in the Old Covenant. He gives the blueprints and very specific divine instructions of how to design and how to craft the tabernacle. So the tent of meeting, how to build the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's a box, solid golden box that needs to be used uh, specific materials in order to craft it. And it needs to look a certain way, be overlaid with gold, and then put inside a very specific uh, tent, a square room, right? And everything had a specific order. And even again, when you go down into the temple, how the temple had to be laid with this certain foundation, it had to be built. Again, the Holy of Holies was a square. It's like this solid, perfect uh, square we read in Revelation later down where we get a picture of the church and it says that out of heaven comes this golden city and it's a perfect square, a perfect cube with massive big thick walls. It's got gates. It's got this uh, amazing foundation. And so we've got this picture of God giving very specific instructions that's like you need to build it this certain way. And then he talks about the church, how the church in the same way has specific uh, way and instructions that it needs to be built, that the church is to be built with the apostles and the prophets, that they're to come in and to lay the foundation. And it talks about how Jesus is the foundation, 
right? He is the cornerstone. He is the capstone as well. But there's a specific way that he wants to build in a structured, orderly kind of fashion. And so then he talks, and then Dad did, if you missed last week, you should uh, get on the website, it's there, and you can listen to it. How, they, how God is a God of government. And in the local church, he has set up elders who are here to govern, to oversee, to teach, and to pretty much make sure that everything's running all right, that there is this divine structure. But equally as important as God is all about this divine order, he also is all about organic growth. Right? God is also a gardener. He is a builder and he is a gardener at the same time. So you have this picture and it helps to illustrate what he's like, what he is all about. And so I like to think of it this way, that um, the church, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times before already, the church is actually like God's greenhouse. And so with a greenhouse, you have a solid framework, a structure it's built on a foundation that is around, like it's glass and everything, but its specific purpose of the structure is there to promote and to create an atmosphere that's concentrated to promote organic growth. Its idea is there to maximize the potential that can be grown in that place. And I believe the church is the same way. God has put in a structure, he's put in divine order in order to promote organic life that grows naturally. Amen? It's uh, interesting, in Genesis, God creates the biggest greenhouse in the universe. Because you think about it, the earth, he builds a solid framework, right? He builds a structure that is governed by divine order because he creates time, creates space, creates the sun, the moon, the stars. It creates the laws of gravity, the laws of physics and chemistry, all these things that are run based on laws that run uh, in divine order with divine purpose and structure. And so then he takes the earth, this rock, and then he surrounds it with a glass ceiling of water. If you read it, in Genesis, right, he says there's earth, there's water below, but there's also water all above around it. And we know this also because in, with Noah, it says when the great flood happened, he opened up the heavens so that the rains could flood down. It had never rained until that time. And so the, the earth was encased with a glass of water like a greenhouse. And then inside of it, he plants a garden. Right? And then he goes, okay, I'm going to put man in there. And he says, now you be the gardener. You be the gardener for this garden. And he says, he gives them instruction. He says, be fruitful and multiply. You go and you grow. So we see this picture at the start of all creation. He gives us this purpose. He gives us this atmosphere of growth. And today, it hasn't changed. God is still given us the same mandate, he's given us the same mission, the same primary drive that has been instilled into every single life, including other things besides humans, has this uh, core kind of drive that is to go, to be fruitful and to multiply. Everything is to grow stronger 
and to reproduce. It's in all life, no matter what it is. And so, so God wants us to grow. He's all about healthy growth. And I've got three aspects that I just want to talk to you about today of growing, and you can see them written up there already. So healthy growth requires three things, and the first one is grow down. So before a tree grows up, starts looking like a tree, it grows down into the ground. It produces or begins to form its, its root system. And you know, uh, to be strong, for a tree to be really strong, it needs to have very strong roots. You just see any kind of storm, and often you'll see like a tree that's been uprooted and, and been pushed over by the winds. And you can tell the difference between a, a tree that's got shallow roots and the ones that have got deep, because the ones that fall over, you can see that the roots scatter sideways instead of down deep. And I think it's the same, it's very true for us that if we kind of scatter out instead of growing down deep and being firmly established, we're easily toppled over by the winds. I don't know if you, I've been maintaining, let's say, my garden. Um, I'm not saying <laughs> maintaining is a good word. I'm just saying <laughs> trying to. And grass is horrible to try and get out of places where you don't want it to be. But pulling it out, it is so much easier to pull out the grass where it's scattered across the top, just under the surface, than the grass that's gone down a metre deep. It is so hard to get that stuff out, right? It's because it's grown down deep into the place, so it's really firmly established. And the same is so true for us, that we need to be able to grow deep if we want to be able to weather storms and weather the things that are uh, temptations and, and strong, deceptive winds of the world. So in the context of uh, the local church community, what does it mean for us to grow down? We're just going to look here, Ephesians 3. I think this was read out this morning. So I pray Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel, understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. So the first thing that we need to learn as we grow deeper in God is his marvelous, unmerited love for us. It is absolutely such an important thing that, there, that we know that there is no end to God's passion for us, that it is unlimited. That if we want to grow more in the things of God, it always starts with a deeper revelation of knowing how much he loves us. It's the only way that you can ever hope to grow. It's from that place of love. And so Paul's prayer is that our root system would grow deep into the revelation of his love, that our identity would be planted into his nutrient-rich soil of the heart of God for us, so much so that we are not moved by the strong winds of the world, that we are not moved when someone rejects us, that we're not moved when we've come under a sense of fear of failure or a fear of success, a fear of just something bad happening to us, that we are so grounded in our identity in God, in his love for us, that nothing can shake us, that nothing can move us. 
and it is good. It's the way that God's designed it, that we are to have our identity built in his love for us, a love that is unshakable because we know it's not based on our performance. It's not even based on who we are. It's actually based on who he is that he is unchanging, that he is love, and that he will never stop loving us, that there is no end to it, there's no depth to it, there's no height to it. It's unlimited. His love is as much as you can receive as much as you absolutely can. There's no end to it. It's up to you to how much you want to be able to hold on to and allow to be poured into your life. It's awesome. So he doesn't put a limit on it. He's like, you have as much as you want. It's bottomless. Equally, here we go. I've got a couple more just verses here. Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith. Here's an interesting thing as well. This is what's called a chiasm. I don't know if you know what a chiasm is. It's where you have, uh, the best way that they kind of describe it is like an X. And so you have a central core truth, and then you have surrounding kind of truths that all lead in and connect into the one. Another way you could look at it is like a burger. So you've got something at the top, something at the bottom. There's like two truths, and then in the middle is the central truth about it. And I'll give you, I'll show you what I mean. So here, verse, we've got this verse 6, but then look at this verse 4, verse, first of all. It says, I tell you, that, I'll tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Right? This is helping to paint a, a picture of the context. And then down verse 8 afterwards, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, the central truth of how we stay strong in the midst of winds and deceptive, and deceptive winds and things that want to kind of take you away from Christ is to be rooted and established in his love. The Bible is full of these. It's a pattern of writing. It's a stylistic way of uh, writing a text that, so that you can remember a core truth. It's all throughout the Bible. You can find heaps of them. I'm not talking about that, though. But that's just so you know. Here's another one, just to build a more picture. In 2 Peter 3, it says, Dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of wicked people and lose your own secure footing. So again, this same kind of context. Don't be swayed by what's going on in the world. And so rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, to grow down is to grow in that revelation knowledge of who God is, of how much he loves us and his grace for you and I. It's the secret to staying strong and not being blown over and deceived by the world. The love of God, something that we get blessed by, actually keeps you strong. So meeting with God is very important. Spending time with him is incredibly important. So I just want to give you this very simple uh, 
how do we grow our roots deep into the knowledge of Christ and how we grow into his unconditional love. So number one is, is pretty much just read his book. Simple as that. Just read his word. Get to know God through the Bible, through what he speaks about us. Uh, many people give the, give the illustration that the Bible is like the Father's love letter to us. And I, I fully agree with that, that, the, that you can read it and get something into your spirit, which is just like God loves me, just through reading his words. And so I encourage you, read some of the things we've just read out, like read uh, things like Romans 8 or 1 Corinthians th- uh, 13, uh, 1 John 4, um, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, like we've just, we just read out, where it's just a, a picture where God's speaking his love to us, where you really understand that Jesus loves us, that he gave everything for us. So you get that through reading the Bible. The second thing uh, is through prayer. And to me, this is a massive one. We just read out these scriptures about growing deep, how, how Paul wants us to grow deep into the love of God and know that, uh, that his love is so wide, it's high, it's deep, it's long. That was a prayer. That was Paul's prayer for us, that we would grow in love, that we would grow deeper into the love and the revelation of who God is. Equally, um, so here I've got, I've got a verse here we can look at. Ephesians 1, it says... This is the Passion Translation. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through the deepening intimacy with him. And then also, Kay read out this morning, just John 17, which again, it's Jesus praying. At the start of it, he says, this is eternal life, right? This is eternal life. And he says, to know God. Eternal life isn't going somewhere. It's knowing God. That is what it means to have eternal life. And so then, you go, then Jesus goes on after that and starts to pray, as, as Kay read out, this prayer, which is all about how Jesus goes, just as I am one with you, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I pray that they would be one with me, that they would be in me, that I would be in you, and he would be in us, that we may know God. Right? This is Jesus' prayer. How do we know God? How do we know his love for us? Pray. Pray that you would see him. Pray that you would know and have such a deep revelation of his love for you because it keeps you strong. So I encourage you, right? Just spend time with God, creating a, a place of intimacy with him. A place where, this is something I think is, that's helpful, has been helpful for me, but allowing the Holy Spirit to be able to come and love every part of your heart, especially the places that you think you least deserve it. So if there's things in your life where you think, man, I suck at this, allow God to specifically love you in that area. Meditate on the goodness of God, of how much his grace is for you, even though you suck. Right? That is how you practice grace. It's how you practice growing deeper into the love of God. And it's not easy. It sounds simple. It's simple to say and simple to just go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. But actually, it's hard. And do you know why? 
the ground is hard. Right? With a tree, when it grows up, it's, it's easier to move them to be able to grow because there isn't the restrictions. There are the challenges, though, because you're exposed to all the things of the world. But it's easier to be able to branch out. When you're underground, it takes time. It takes pressure. It takes pushing through. And so with the things of the love of God growing deeper into a revelation of knowing how much he loves you, it's hard. You have to take time. It takes effort to push through these things to go, I don't deserve this. Everything about that's going on says I don't deserve the love of God. I haven't done enough. I haven't earned enough to be able to be blessed. I haven't earned enough to be fruitful. I haven't done enough to, for his unconditional favor to come on me. You have to press through that and go, no, it's because God loves me. It's because Jesus died for me. It's got nothing to do with my sacrifice. It's his sacrifice on my behalf. So it's pushing through. That's how you grow deeper into the grace. All right. We could talk about all this kind of stuff for a long time, but I just want to um, give you an overall picture. So the second thing, I don't have anything, is uh, growing up. There it is. I'm just going to look at this. Dad read, read this out last week. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, or we could say grow up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Sorry, did you miss that? Is that it there? I'll read that one out. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. See, again, this is that same picture of just not being swayed by the world not being uh, sucked into deceitfulness. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So when we're talking about growing up, we're talking about growing, maturing into the fullness of Christ. And that means that we listen, we look, we sound, we act just like Jesus in every area that we would grow into the fullness of him, that we would be the complete uh, manifestation and expression of his nature and personality on the earth. So the first thing, though, that we can ever hope to grow up, we must first grow down, as I said, because the love of God has to be our foundation. It has to be the root system. It's extremely important because uh, if we don't grow up in that place of love and knowing that we're accepted unconditionally and it's not based on our behavior, then we can start to grow up based on a thing of performance and we get sucked into a practice of religion where... 
to earn a sense of godliness, to earn a sense of maturity, is through my own self-efforts and through my own self-righteousness. And so we know that that's not the right way because that's actually eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, which, is a, which results in spiritual death. But often that's what gets taught in church. You need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to know what's right from wrong. And then you will be more like God, which is the mistake that Adam and Eve made right at the beginning. I want to be more like God. It looks good. That, that tree looks good to eat. Right? They weren't trying to avoid evil. They wanted to be good. And when they ate of it, they died. So it's very, very important that we first are rooted and established in the love of God, knowing that it's not based on our behavior and our performance, it's on his performance on our behalf. So how do we grow up? <laughs> See, we're all about the grace of God in this place. We, we teach it as a priority and we will never stop. Knowing that you're accepted, knowing that you're, you, you live your life completely away from knowing that uh, it's based on performance. Like we will teach that all the time, that God loves us unconditionally. It's, the grace of God is the start, it's the middle and the end. Right? It doesn't just start with the grace of God and then now you have to do your own thing and you have to earn your way. It's got nothing to do with that. Grace is everything. But often, so the accusation that often comes against the church is you're going too far with grace and actually you're preaching a license to sin. It's often a thing that's thrown up that you're stretching grace beyond the Bible. People say like hyper grace, whatever that means. Yeah, which is exactly, it's the very, it's the great, there is no other grace. There is only hyper grace because it's extremely uh, abundant. His grace is unmeasurable. It's awesome. It's unconditional. So it's hyper. But we are not preaching you are free to sin, right? We, we don't like sin. We hate sin. We want it gone. We don't want anyone to live in sin, right? God hates sin. So we preach that. But the thing is, you're not free to sin. You're free from sin. And there's a massive difference. See, the only way that you're empowered to live a godly life is to accept the gift of righteousness. Something that has come to you freely, not because of your behavior, but because of Jesus' behavior on your behalf. You must know that. Otherwise, you've got no hope of growing up. It comes to you by faith. And so telling people not to sin actually stirs up more sin within them. I went with uh, Samuel yesterday just riding his bike. And, it's, and this illustration has been given a few times. But you go, okay, he's going to ride along. And you go, don't hit that tree. Everything in your mind goes, like in his mind, is okay, don't hit the tree, don't hit the tree. But his focus is now shifted from the road to the tree. And you end up going straight towards the thing. Smash straight into the tree because you've said, don't do it. It shifts your focus, right? I've been watching some drag racing recently. Um, and the races that, that are on there, they say, if you're going to be good and complete, not die, is you don't concentrate on the other person. 
You can't afford to look at what the other car is doing at all. You must just focus on driving your car and keep your, like, in your lane. Otherwise, you focus on that, you end up steering off and smashing. So keeping into your lane, knowing where you're going, living with a focus of trying not to sin actually hinders you from growing up into maturity. In Hebrews 12, it says, throw off the sin that easily entangles and run your race with perseverance. Then he goes on and says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Take your eyes off of sin, off of all the things that you're trying to avoid and put it on him. And then you'll be able to run and run with perseverance and get to the end. So a plant grows down and strengthens itself. And then as it comes and begins to grow up, the reason it grows up is so that it can go towards the direction of the light. That's why it grows up. It's going up, focusing on light and getting the best exposure to light. So as we grow up, our focus needs to be on the light. It naturally takes place when we're fixed on the light. So we can't afford to be conscious of sin, filling our eyes with evil and the darkness and being motivated by a fear of sin. Because if you do that, if you give yourself to that, then you can never fully give yourself to the pursuit of honor. You can never fully give yourself to the pursuit of integrity, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of love, of just being a, uh, of mutual kind of affection and just being an honorable person. You cannot have any hope of succeeding at maturing into the fullness of that unless you've totally taken your eyes off of sin, off of all your failures. You can only grow into the fullness when you know you're free from sin. So there's two parts of grace which we've talked about before, which line up kind of with what I'm saying. So the first one we've got is there's acceptance grace, which is all about how God, God loves you unconditionally, that his, his favor is unmerited. So that's acceptance grace. But then the second one is empowering grace. And empowering grace is his divine, inspired, Holy Spirit power put into you so that you can live just like Jesus. It's grace. It's a gift that's given to you so that you can live like him. And so I haven't got it here, but Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus and how he it says in very, him being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage, but rather he emptied himself of divinity, took on the nature of a servant, right? And... Um, so we have a picture of Jesus, the king of kings, who emptied himself of all divinity, comes down to earth to become a servant of us to the point where he washes the grossest feet ever, right? The king washing scum and grot off of people's feet. And he goes even further and just begins to give himself, sacrifice himself, suffer, be tortured to the point of death for the sake of people who hate him, for people who rejected him, 
people who spit on him, who beat him, and he's there as a servant, emptied himself as God for them. I want to tell you, that is a picture of grace. That is the true picture of what grace is really like. It's not this reduced down thing where people think it's just, oh, you can do whatever you want, you can sin. That's what grace is. It just means that it covers your sin. No, it's not. The picture of grace is coming as a servant. It's coming with integrity, with honor. It's coming with such a strong sense of character and love that it's willing to sacrifice, to suffer, to give everything of itself for the sake of someone else. That's what grace really is. It's not about this reduced down thing of just, oh, you get a license to sin. It's not that at all. It's an empowering to live honorably. It's an empowering to live like Jesus. Not just the miracles, signs and wonders, but in character, in his nature, in his personality. To Peter 1 verse 3. Read this. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase this. You can read it up there. But through his promises, we, we participate in the divine nature, in God's character, right? His, his divine character being expressed through us. And then he goes on and says, Make every effort to add to your faith, right? To your faith. Not to your works, it says to your faith, to your believing, add to it goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. It's interesting how these sound very familiar to the fruits of the Spirit. And he says, if you have these things, if you possess these things, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. That's what it means to grow up, to, be, uh, to live a life that isn't just displaying the miracles and signs and wonders, but the fullness of Christ also means his character, his integrity, his honor, his nature, his personality of who he is. Amen? So the third one is grow out. Yeah, grow out. Our branches reaching out as far as they can. It is where we begin to see the growth of leaves, flowers. We begin to see fruit. And at this point, the tree, not only is it providing for itself, but it's actually becoming a source of life for others. That is becoming a place of shelter, protection, provision. Um, it's yeah, producing food. It helps to create a healthier atmosphere that people can breathe in. It's starting to give to others, to those around it. So being fruitful is actually a really good thing. So God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to grow fruit. It's essential for multiplication. So God wants to bless you because he absolutely loves you. But also he wants to bless through you to everyone around you as well. And actually when he blesses you and then you get to bless others, it becomes a blessing to you as well. So the whole thing is this awesome cycle of just blessing, multiplication of growth. And so I've got three things here that I've just written down. There's way more than all this, but I've just taken three of, grow, of what it means to grow out. And the first thing that we want to grow out in is, is our influence 
and impact, effectiveness, and like productivity and favor with those around us. So partnering with God to extend his glory, partnering with God to see his gospel and his life spread as far as we can reach. Amen? So being more effective and having greater impact in this local community, having greater influence on the local council, on businesses, on just the residents in the area, just being able to share the love and the life of God with all those people. But then beyond that, we also want to reach beyond and see the whole city saved. So we're partnering with other churches, partnering with other people, other, other places, so that we can see Perth saved. Amen? Beyond that, we want to partner with other churches, with other ministers, other missionaries, other apostles and prophets in the wider nation. As we see, it's Australia Day. We want to see Australia saved. We want everyone to come into the kingdom. We want everyone to know the love of God. So we do that. We partner with them for all Australia and then wider than that also into the nations of the world where we can begin to see the gospel spread into places which don't even know who Jesus is. So we want to grow in influence. And the second thing is we want to grow in resources. We want to see the kingdom advance. To see the kingdom advance costs money. We need more money. We need more facilities. We need more programs and things to be able to reach the lost. So more money means more churches. More money means more missionaries. It means more Bibles. It means more people that we can send out to help the lost, to help the poor, to help the broken, to be able to preach the gospel. We need resources to be able to do this. So God wants us to be fruitful in these areas. See, God, he uh, gives a promise to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to increase you not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And so in Galatians, it says that we are heirs to that same promise that, Abra- that was given to Abraham, that we get to inherit the same blessing that was given to Abraham that is not based on performance, but based on who Jesus is, who God is for him. The interesting thing is, it says Abraham believed God, just believed that God wants to bless him, And then God declares that belief righteous. So it's actually a good, righteous thing to believe that God wants to bless you. Sometimes it's taught, I know with the with the old ultra kind of prosperity message, uh, that it's you can get put off from thinking that God wants to bless you, that it's just this selfish sort of thing. And I think in some contexts that is kind of right because it's, you are worshipping money rather than God in some ways. So that, we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about God's desire is for you to be fruitful, for you to multiply, for you to be blessed because he loves you, not because of your performance, but because he loves you and he wants to see the world succeed. He wants all of us to be in a place of blessing and favour, in a place of being the beloved of God. He wants us to come into relationship with him, be reconciled to God. So the part of where he wants to bless us because he loves us is actually there to put us into that place of relationship and back into a place of being in union with him. Amen? The, the goal is, to, is for God to be God. Right? Where he's on top, not money. But he blesses us. He wants us to be fruitful in every area of life. Amen?
And to believe that is righteous. Just good. So the third, way, third thing, just quickly, and we'll end with this. Growing out means growing in numbers, which is another one of those sorts of things where people are like, oh, preachers always say it's about the numbers and that's, that's a horrible kind of thing. I want to say, yes, it is if the reason that you say we want to grow in numbers is for the purpose of looking good to someone else, where it's like, look at my score. Look what I've been able to do. Then it's wrong, absolutely. But behind every number is, is a person with eternal value. In 2 Peter 3, it says, God is not willing for anyone to perish, but that everyone would come into, into a place of relationship with him, that we would all be saved. In, uh, when Jesus is just about to leave, he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of everyone. God wants all of us to come into that place of knowing him. So God is about numbers. He wants people saved. In the early church, we know that the, when they preached the gospel, it says that they rapidly grew into the thousands. Thousands of people coming into, into the kingdom of God. And so we... It's, you've, I've probably heard this, like, when one person gets saved, all heaven rejoices. Right? It's awesome. When someone gives their heart to God, how awesome is it? Right? They've just been taken, snatched out of hell, and now they get to be with God for all eternity. How awesome is it when one person gets saved? But do you know what's better than one person getting saved? Two. Two people getting saved. Right? Kay just uh, shared this morning of people who've been, who've been riddled with cancer and just stage four cancer, and then they're healed, right? Where they get to experience something. Like some people, they, they say a father or mother who's, who's got cancer, and then they get healed, and then the children get their father or mother back. How awesome is that? Or when, say, like a sick or dying child gets healed, it's brilliant when they are, they've been restored back. But how good is it like when one of that happens? What's better? What if two? What's better? Five. What's better? What is 50 people who get saved? To say that we're not about numbers is irresponsible. We are about the numbers because we want to see every single person saved. Every person healed and brought into the kingdom of God. And then just the second part of this is um, growing together, that we would uh, also grow in numbers, that we grow together in fellowship, in relationship, um, in uh, growing together in unity as well, that we would multiply, that we would begin to see more and more of us growing up into the, into the fullness of, of God, that we would encourage one another in growth that we would begin to not speak all the negative things that are in someone, but actually we would pull out the gold that's within them. So having creating a culture of honor, a culture where this is a garden and together we are growing. So that's also a matter of growing in numbers, growing together strong as, this, as we do this thing together. So we believe in a church of growth. God loves growth. A church who grows down in love, and in the marvelous grace of God, 
grows up in maturity, looks just like Jesus, expressing his character and nature, not just the miracle signs and wonders, but also the, the honor, the integrity, the valor, all the good aspects of his nature and character and his personality is what we want to grow into. And then a church who grows out, showing the world who Jesus really is, showing them uh, the influence, just having an influence over people, a great impact into the world, and then it's growing in resources, being able to support that, and then growing in numbers, seeing more and more people saved. Amen? So that's it. There's so much in there that you could kind of, you could take a month on some of those things of just growing. But uh, I just wanted to give you an overall kind of picture today. Cool. Thanks, guys. If you'd like prayer for anything, um, you could come up. Otherwise, we're going to have tea and coffee and have a brilliant Australia Day. Thank you. Cheers.